Hey fam, let's catch the moment. We open this space with the acknowledgement that the land in which we are located is occupied and unceded territories. On this, their traditional land and ancestral home, join us in acknowledging the tribal groups from where we personally vibe, including the Kickapoo, Kansaw, Osage, Odos, Missouri, Padawami, Sioux, Shawnee, Wyandotte, Choctaw, and Chitty Macha tribes. We look to you as we become better stewards of the land we inhabit. Peace and love. Let go. What's up and welcome to the We Out Here podcast, the place to hear the stories of black, brown, and indigenous folks in science and nature. <laughs> My name is Alexi Gruses, coming to you from the Bull Bancha, aka New Orleans. And with me as always, it's Allison. Jones. Ooh, oh, look at I didn't put my whole name out there. Dang. <laughs> Game yes. changer. Anyway, here uh, in the Kickapoo, Kansas land, uh, Missouri, uh, a.k.a. Well, that's ironic. A.k.a. Kansas City, Missouri. So here we are. Mm, Living large up? and in charge, but like taking up just the right amount of space. Yes, I love yes. that. I love that. I'm shrinking the amount of space I'm taking Thank up. you, because this fem energy needs to rise, okay? Listen. Yeah, okay. Let's do this. I'm sorry. That's fact, too hot. That's too hot. Too no, early. no, it's not. That is perfectly, that is hot enough. I'm Goldilocks, and I found the bowl of soup right now. So with us is a special guest bringing oh some more gosh. fem energy. Let's go. Let's do this. Uh, introduce oh yourself. Give them your name, your pronouns, and what you do. Hello, my name is Karina Newsom. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And what I do is wildlife conservation um, centered around environmental justice. Mm. And so every space that I'm in, I try to do that work yes. to the best of my ability. Yes, yes. Karina is awesome. She's a friend of the program, cool ass person, amazing. If you're not familiar with her, check her out. Hood Absolutely. At her. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. gotta ask Karina. Tell us a little bit about you know what uh, what kind of places you find yourself in when you're in the outdoors. You know how you getting dirt yeah. under your fingernails. Drop that on us. Yep. So I live uh, in Muskogee territory that is um, now in part referred to as Atlanta, Georgia. These days, I would say that I am dirtying my fingernails um, without ever having a pedicure, just for anyone who's listening at home. So you know how I'm looking. I'm usually doing it in places that are like, where these pockets of what feels like just, I mean, pure serenity, but like in the middle of Atlanta, like in the middle of the city. Um, and the most like bewildering encounters happen there where I'm used to like a city being a city city. That means there's right, not right. a ton of biological diversity Mm -hmm. but here i mean i go from to give you an idea of what my neighborhood is like the next like on next door the emails i get from next door the app an example uh subject line was snapping turtles and falling bullets please help so like this is kind of what we're dealing with so like i can be in the middle of chaos and then i go into my park and there are a family of six beavers swimming around (laughs) chomping on trees past like a, a halfway working fountain and past a plastic bag. You have like a great blue heron that just sits on the railing while everybody with their dogs and everybody with their kids are walking by and doesn't care. Like it's just a very different kind of city nature than what I'm used to. That's where I'm getting. Yeah. These days. That's fire. I dig it. 
Hell yeah. You like it there? Or am I putting you out on blast? <laughs> I, I'm grateful. We'll say I'm grateful for the uh-huh. experiences that I have. Cool. Very cool. It's very, because you're like originally from like Philadelphia. Philadelphia. So very yeah. different um, cityscape, obviously, but also like yes. it's hotter. It is hotter. It yeah. is hotter. Makes you act different. Think different. Ooh, yeah. act different. <laughs> think different. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that's like a, that's a tag right there. That's someone said that, right? Hotlanta. Act different, think different. And then comes in, yo, 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 yo. Welcome to Atlanta where the play. I'm sorry. I'm just- oh my God. <laughs> I'm sitting here. Allison used to be a radio DJ. You can feel that energy coming through. Sid J in the house. Let's go. I forgot Let's about it. Anyways. Karina, messy question time. Which is better, Hotlanta or Philly? Which one? I'm not gonna say Hotlanta. I'm gonna edit that out. Atlanta or Philly? What's what's happening? Which one? I have to do Philly. Philly is Philly is off the off the chains and not in a great way. But like that's my city. Somebody described Philadelphians as like being uh too prideful for a place they don't like to be. But like it's, it's home, like <laughs> like um. So I gotta pick Philly no matter what. I get it. Yeah, hometown girl. Hometown yeah. girl. Yes. So what took you down to Georgia? Uh, I kind of worked my way down. Went to college a little further south than Philly. Then I got my first job in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, first full time job, and then I went to grad school in Georgia on the coast in rural Georgia. So that was my first experience, like in the deep deep south. Um, yeah, and then I've been after I graduated in Atlanta since then. So for about two years. <sighs> it's story time. All right, so uh, I want to take you back about what year is this? Oh Lord, um, two years. Okay, so wow, twenty twenty. Oh I'm sorry that like the fact that's two years ago. Yeah, I we won't think about it. So it was twenty twenty, and mm. I had just finished my. I want to say my last semester of classes as a graduate student. So I'd gotten all of my credits for my class work. Yeah, so I had just finished that out in the spring and I was going into my final field season for my research. So for the, the research that I was conducting, which focused on nesting in the seaside sparrow, which is a little coastal songbird, I because I was studying their nesting behavior, I had to do my data collection when they're nesting, which is summertime. So in order to make sure that I had enough data points, because when you're dealing with ecology and animal behavior, you are, you're always pressed for data. It it's, takes so much energy and effort to get one data point. And so you want to make sure you leave enough time to get enough that you need to graduate and <laughs> publish your work so that it makes sense and you're not making shit up. So I was in my second field season. The first field season was the first time I'd, I'd ever done field research. And so I was honestly like learning a lot and kind of struggling out there trying to find seaside sparrow nests in a... <laughs> like a just a massive plot of land of, of of you know marshland and you know I was like so the second season I have to get a lot of data so okay. the pressure was on just at the beginning of my field season or right before my field season started is when COVID oh. hit and usually in order to make data collection easy and make sense and you know just do it well uh, you usually have like if it's far away from where you live you'll have like a field house you'll have field housing close to your field site. My school was two hours and some change away from where my field site was. So like I had to live close to my site. That's what I did my first year. For Basically season. on site. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was living on like wildlife management land. There was a property that was formerly a plantation for 
um, I don't even know how many decades uh, mm-hmm. in, during slavery. And so it was structured with like your big house that had your different cottages, like 5,000 acres of property mm. and had cottages around that the family stayed in and then it had quarters that the enslaved Africans were forced to live in. Mm-hmm. And these all structures were all there. They became offices, they became, you know, storage spaces. And I stayed in one of the cottages that the family who owned it originally would use. Um, now it's a wildlife management area. It is now mm-hmm. owned by the government, but they maintain all the same structures. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle, literally I, I had to have to drive maybe 15 minutes into a forest to get to where I was staying. It was mm. truly remote, hardly no service. I'm surrounded by trees. You can't see anything but trees around this little cabin that I'm in. It was it was enchanting and it was haunting at the same time. Yeah. I use the word enchanting a lot. Like it was so magical. Like it was like it, at night you hear Chuck Will's Widows that makes a very like, like something like that. Uh, that was a bad impression. But I had chimney swifts nesting in the chimney, which was terrifying because I didn't know that's what they were at first. And I was like, yeah, that's I'm spooky. being stabbed or something. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, you had like all kind. I mean, every type of thing living. Th- I just felt like I was in a, a, a Disney classic or something. Which is not a good place for a black person. But that the good parts, I felt like I was there. Okay, we anyway. Were, we were, um, there. we're there now in but, the remakes. <laughs> in the remakes, right. And the inside, it's like you walk in and it's all wood. Like, it's really wood. The floor is wood. The walls are wood. The people before me had the windows all open. I'm like, yep, y'all shut these windows. Anyway, so it's wooden and there was like kind of like older infrastructure. Probably like felt like a, an 80s kitchen or something like that. And there was a microwave. And, you know, and the, the rooms that we stayed in were kind of like, uh, they were set up now kind of like dorms where there were bunk beds mm-hmm. in there. And mm-hmm. there were probably six bunk beds in a room. And it was just me and my uh young woman who was helping me in my first field season. Um, oh, shout out to Alundi Montgomery. She was one of my students also. Um, anyway, so that's kind of what it looked like. It, was, it felt like, like a dorm, but like it was very much a cabin feel. And there was a fireplace. Anyway, um, because of COVID, they shut down all the field housing. And so I had nowhere to go. And so I was commuting two hours each way to get my data, which is, it, it's just, I, to think about it now, I'm like, who and how, whence, why? You know what I'm saying? It just was like I was adapting quickly and I wasn't even processing how much stress this was causing. You trying to graduate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would get up, drive two hours. My field day would usually be about five hours in the field because I had to collect all my data between like with, within the low tide period because mm-hmm. um, it's a tidal environment, which means the water level is right on the ocean. So the water level goes up and down twice a day. And if you're out there when the water is filling the marsh, you could literally drown in two feet of water because you're walking around and it's mud. And so if you sink in, right, which happens frequently, you go in up to your waist. If there's water up to your face, like, and you're trying to get out of the mud, you could easily drown. So you never want to be out there. So I'd be out there for about five hours and the water was low enough. Exhausted. I'm talking about so exhausted, like you're drinking a gallon of water and you never have to go to the bathroom at any point because you're just sweating it all out. Like that. Oh, yeah. Like down to half of water. No Nothing. Key. Um, so that kind of physical exhaustion and then driving two hours home. Right. And this was the whole, like the first chunk of my data collection. And so I, over the course of several weeks had just become so stressed because, you know, I was like so exhausted by that, that schedule. Um, and then I wasn't able to go out as frequently because it costs money to travel four hours a day. And so mm-hmm. I had to reduce my number of field days. So all these things were accumulating. So it's, 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 um, brutal out there. And so then, you know, you get into like the main part of the, you know, the summertime when you had like a lot of um, just trauma happen for black people um, mm-hmm. in this country. I think all of, all three of us were kind of looking at this at the same time. And like, you know, we had 
a lot of good come of it in some ways for the black community and wildlife, but there was a lot of stress associated with it. Mm-hmm. And um, the first kind of main thing that came up was that Ahmaud Arbery was murdered in mm-hmm. Brunswick, Georgia. And Brunswick, Georgia is where my field site is. And I remember being overwhelmed with guilt by the fact that I, I was so I was this person who like made it out. Like I made it out of this yeah. uh, of the 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 madness of, of of poverty and racism and all this. Like I was in a safe environment and had the freedom to go out romping through a marshland to look for birds. Damn, that's low-key survivor's guilt right there. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, it, like, and I yeah. was like, I have no right to literally be in the same, basically, land, like, mm-hmm. as this man who was killed for just being outside, like, right, right, I was right. like, I can't, you know what I mean? Um, I should be doing something more productive for Black people. So mm-hmm. this was, like, the combination of just, like, the the work itself and then this, this social reality that was manifesting in Brunswick, Georgia, and then across the country um, when, you know, George Floyd was murdered and you had all the kind of rippling effects from that. And it just created like, it it, it, it was like, it, it was making me feel like I would just disappear if someone said the wrong thing or if I yeah, had the, yeah. a, a strong enough stimulus, like I would just cease to exist. I was like, I don't even know, wh- do I exist anymore? Like what is happening? Mm. It was very disorienting. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the stage. The one good thing that came out of the field season of 2020 was that my friend Alex Troutman, who many folks may know y'all, who y'all What's know. up, Karina? So he was actually, we went to grad school together and he was helping me collect data for my research because that was his first year. And so he was um, helping me in the marsh. And so sometimes, like, we couldn't stay together. We couldn't live together because we, there was no field housing again. So we would travel separately. There were a couple of days where we'd be out there together. And this particular day, we were out there together. And by this time in the summer, a friend of my advisor offered her house for me to stay with her. I didn't really know her well at all, but she offered to, for me to stay for free. And she was so kind to me, like an ally. It was just, it, it felt like God was looking out. I don't know if that's why, but that's just what it felt like. And so, you know, by the time I had found housing down there, I was kind of past the peak nesting period where like most of the data would be collected i was kind of past that peak and i was really starting to freak out because i'd already had reduced days in in the field i was driving all this time and now this is my last field season before i graduate and like oh my gosh what if i don't have enough so i didn't at least have to travel two hours to get to the field site this day but you know um, i think it was like around 10 a.m at the beginning of when the tide was going out so the water level was going down and alex was there and i pulled up my car next to his car and we were kind of, kind of getting equipped to collect data. I would carry out, I would have two, this is horrible, two 25 pound batteries. So I was carrying 50 pounds of batteries um, in my backpack. I had a Pelican case, which is like a, a waterproof black suitcase basically is what it looks like. That had like a DVR and some other electronics in it. And then I was carrying a camera that I was having, having to hold up and with coiled, a hundred feet of coiled wire that was definitely covered in mud. And so I'm holding these electronics and I had like two poles that I used to fix the camera in place and then to keep the Pelican case from floating away when the tide came in. And mm-hmm. so I went out, he was doing different work. He was looking at bugs and some other stuff. I was going out looking for nests. And so I went out into the marsh and as you described, Allison, because it's a marsh, there's no trees, there's no shade from plants at least. And um, there's also just no shade from the clouds. Like the clouds were out there they were like peace uh, most of the time. And um, so it's hot and the water, the air is actually pretty still. Like you would think maybe an ocean breeze, you thought wrong. So air is still, <laughs> it's super humid. Gotcha. And what, <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm out there, um, I, I kind of go out to the marsh and it just like is especially hot this day. Like the sun just stings. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even just like it burns. Like it literally feels like it's, 
acid on me. Um, and it was just very humid too. So I was out there and the way that nest searching works is that you have a, 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 mar a marsh, which is this big stretch of just grassland right next to the ocean. And then you have these streams, essentially tidal creeks that cut into the marsh um, from the main rivers. And so I'm walking up and down these creeks because that's where seaside sparrows build their nests. Um, and so I'm looking for nests. And, but to get from one side of the creek to the other, you have to walk through it. Um, and when you get down, okay, so when you get down into this creek, if you thought the air was still and humid above the grass line, you get into the creek where the grass is all above you, there is no oxygen, there's nothing. There's no air, it is just like outer space in the creek. There's nothing, like, and it's hot though. So I'm walking through the edge of the tidal creek, which cuts into the marsh, which has the highest and densest grass. So I'm picking my feet up and I'm having to suck my feet out of the mud with each step, but I'm also kind of cutting through grass, um, which is also cutting me back. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm walking through, there's a lot of vegetation, and then essentially the way that I get into the tidal creek is to, either I can slide through the mud down like a That's mud so nasty. If it's a really, <laughs> Or I'll jump in. And so like I'm I'm sinking at all times when I'm on the mud. And then the moment I land on the oyster shells, it's solid and your legs feel, you know, kind of jiggly. Um, but because oysters are like jagged and they stick up, like mm -hmm. it almost feels like it could cut through your boot. And it has <laughs> a couple of times, but like it, you know, so it's like very like you feel like you're kind of walking on big needles a little bit and it's crunchy too. It's like, also it's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you're not breaking them because they're very calcified, very hard, but like you can feel mm, strong tower. Yes, yes. And I got into the creek. I was crossing one of the creeks, and I thank God there's like oyster beds that are like in the creek, so you can walk without sinking in. So I'm using an oyster bed to walk through. All of a sudden, I feel this like lack of air, and I start just like breathing really heavily because I'm like I can't breathe, and I'm constantly in a state of out of breath. I always describe it as walking through the marsh as kind of like walking upstairs. Every step feels like it's going upstairs. Mm. And so I'm just always out of breath and then I couldn't breathe all of a sudden. And then for whatever reason, all at once, like all of these stressors between school and can't find these nests and these seaside sparrows are trying to trick me. And you know, I don't deserve to be out here because black people are dying in the same place. Like I, like for some reason, all of them came to my mind at the same time or like just felt like it landed on me at the same time. And I started to actually go into like a panic attack. And, I, and I'm not, I don't suffer from, from panic attacks. Like I've, I've had one once before in my life. So I know, cause I, I thought I was dying. And I, so I remember what that felt like. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my gosh, right. Mm -hmm. It felt like I couldn't breathe. Like there was just no air to breathe. And I was taking these deep breaths. And because I was already out of breath, my heart was already pounding. I thought I was literally just going to die. Um, and so I started freaking out and it just creates this like hyperventilating situation that then it was like my thoughts couldn't stay together. Like I was, I became terrified. Like I became just gripped with fear and I felt like I couldn't get out of the creek. And so it just was like building, right? So I roll, somehow roll out of the creek and like, and trying to walk back to my car um, to like turn on some AC or something. And Alex was thankfully back at his truck to get something. And he sees me coming out and I'm like, clearly, I don't even know what I look like. It was, it looked bad. Hey, and so he's like, are you, you okay? okay? You don't look so right. good. And he's very calm. Like, Alex is calm, calm, Wild calm. calm. Mm -hmm. Like, just, you you want Alex around. And I was like, I'm not. I, I think I'm having it. I just, like, went through a panic attack as I was trying to get out of the marsh. And I need to, like, get out of here. So I sat in my car. I was there for, like, 30 minutes. And he stayed there outside of my car 
just like watching me. And he's such a good friend. And I eventually got back out, right? And I was just so shaken. I was like, I can't even last out here anymore. Like I'm not even capable mm. of, of doing this job anymore because my mind can't handle the social reality. It can't handle the physical reality. Can't handle anything. So like, mm-hmm. what am I just gonna, fl- I'm just gonna drop out. I'm just gonna, like I'm a failure. Like it just all was like, I can't do anything. But I was like, let me just go through this day. Let me just go back out there. I was, it was like the worst feeling to like go through that panic attack, finally cool down in my car and then go back out. It was like putting on wet socks in like when it's cold outside. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's just like, I can't do this when yeah. I went out and I could feel those emotions starting again. And I was like, you know what? If I don't find a single nest today, it is what it is. Like I survived today. Yep. And so what I did was I went out there and I was, I remember I was at the top of a tidal creek that was right up against like a river that leads to the ocean. And I was like, I'm just going to sit down. I like was like, I'm sitting down. So I sat down and I was in tears. Like I was, just, I mean, it, it was, I actually took a picture of myself because I was like, I'm sure I look crazy. And I, I want to just remember this moment. I had tears running down my face. I had the sunscreen that was clumped and like clogged, whatever, like clotting on my face. And, you know, the heat, it just was so ugly. It was so bad. It was a bad <laughs> It was a Tyler Perry um, movie. No, not Tyler, Tyler Perry, man. My wig <laughs> was switching around. And so I was sitting on the edge. My boots were in the water in this river where I can see the ocean. Honestly, hopeless. I just was like, I'm sitting here so I don't pass out. And all of a sudden, I like felt something on my foot and I looked down and a shark swam over my boot. A shark? Well, a what? Yes, yes. S-H-A-R-K. A, it was a dogfish shark. A-R-K. A oh, they're a so dogfish cute. Shark? That's so, that's a yeah, puppy. Yeah, so it was like a great white shark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a great white shark it hit my great. foot. It was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah and it was like foraging for fish because when it's low tide they come up and like i'd never seen that before though i was like i'd never seen a shark in the wild ever like i so like i'm sitting here and this is cool this is a good thing for me y'all just in case you kind (laughs) of like a a dogfish shark swimming over my boot is great so i'm sitting there stunned and at first i was kind of startled i'm like Uh what did i just experience and I sat there like, and of course I took my phone back out and I still got the tears that are now coagulating with the sunscreen. And I'm taking this video. I'm like, I can't show nobody this. I look like a Tyler Perry movie. But I was like, <laughs> I just Big saw, Mama's you know. I, so I like take this video because I don't want to forget this moment. I still have this ugly video on my phone, right? And as I'm like reacting to this, like maybe a hundred feet in front of me into the deeper water, a pod of dolphins that has a baby starts jumping out and into the, like whatever this is called. Porpoising. Porpoising. It's called breaching. I was like, yes. I was like, Allison knows this one. Yes. I got you. Yes. Like, and I just <laughs> broke down into tears. I was like, yeah. I feel like you're in, take a look. It's in a book. Yo. It's reading rainbow. Yes. Like you're in reading rainbow. <laughs> Like, what? Yes. That sounds so beautiful. So for me, this was like the most memorable, and I will never forget it in my life, but like the most emotionally, like, I don't even know what to say. Like, uh, it it was, traumatizing isn't the word, but it just shook me so much because I was flung from like the worst emotional state possible to like, this is the most magical thing 
Would you say like emotional whiplash almost? Whiplash. Ooh, that's, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's what it was. That's what it felt like. That's incredible. And, yes. and so I was sitting there like, I cannot believe that I'm like at the, what I feel like is the most fragile place I've ever been in in my life. And I just had the mm-hmm. most incredible experience in nature that I've ever had in my life. And it was like so weird. It was like when, you know, some people are just kind of like they go out in nature and or any sort of subject becomes like something they're passionate about. And passion is really mm-hmm. just what drives them. Sometimes when you go into academia or it becomes your job, it the thing you love can be a source of real stress mm-hmm. and <laughs> chronic yep. stress sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the marsh had kind of become that in some ways. And like, sure, yeah. So I felt I felt like the marsh was kind of breaking me a little bit, like, and I felt like it was tearing me down. But then it built me up, and I felt yep. better than ever. Like I was like, oh my, I like it was it healed me like boom. You know what I mean? It healed I was like, you. Yeah. I was like, all of these circumstances have like tore me with what feels like to shreds. And then in an uh-huh. instant, in like literally 30 seconds of stimulus from nature between the dogfish shark and the, the porpoising porpoises, like I'm like, I'm better. I'm, I can feel it in my body that I'm better. I thought I was, di- I thought I was going to pass out and drown. Wait, so you said you've kept that memory on your phone? Yes. So w- Why? I don't have a better way of asking that than that. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. That is, that is a good question. I think the reason why was because I don't know if I'll ever, well, no, 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 that's not true. I am sure that I will feel that desperate again. Like I'm sure there'll be something in life that makes me feel so desperate and like so far from, from hope. Like I felt in that moment. Um, And I want to remind myself that it is, it is not only is it possible, it is like miraculous how much can change in a moment when like you unharden your heart a little bit, you allow yourself to sit down and look right. Mm -hmm. For me, it was desperation that drove me there. And sometimes now where I'm not forced to be outside, like I had to be out there. Now it's a choice for me to go out and like kind of, you know, make myself subject to the the stimuli of nature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That has to be a choice. It wasn't really a choice there. That's a choice now. And so I need to be able to actively make that choice. And so that kind of reminds me that I have to make that choice. That's beautiful. I hear that. And sometimes I'm, sometimes I fail to make that choice. And then, Mm -hmm. and then when I do make that choice, I was like, oh, I didn't realize there's a wound here that this just healed. You know, like it's that thing. Sometimes on my weekend, I'm like, I don't want to go outside. I spend all day at work outside. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then the moment I get a little sunlight on me, I'm like, open up like a flower, you know? (laughs) A delighted little lizard. Like, I was a cold hearted bitty bop. And now, no, I'm ready to eat, swim. <laughs> I got high prey drive. Like, let's go. <laughs> Where are the crickets? I'm ready. My metabolism. My is metabolism dumping. is on. On. <laughs> like, that's crazy. It's it's like it's so funny because I was just talking to um, some peers earlier today, and I was just talking about how because we were talking about. Oh, the three big cities for our kind of work was New York, LA, or Chicago. And I was like, yeah, I thought about living in Chicago for a while, but then I remembered like the clouds are there for most of the time and I just can't. And I was like, but I also don't want to live in LA and I don't want to live in New York. So I have no future. <laughs> but it was just like the idea of like, I actually need sunshine, like, or I yeah. actively need to be outside and mm-hmm. I just do myself such a disservice. So I guess this, this is me keeping myself accountable to the yeah. three people that listen to the show, Alexi, myself, and Karina. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Karina never said she listens. That's true. Right. So, Why are you kidding? <laughs> I know I do myself a disservice 
mentally, spiritually, mm. physically, and emotionally by not going outside. So it's like, it's kind of yeah. funny because we've like kind of picked up with the podcast, we've picked up these little things that we like to say. So Alexi really likes to say, get outside, y'all. And I'm like, y'all yeah. welcome. And it's like very much the <laughs> vibe and energy of what yeah. what are like, honestly, like core values. There are these things that it's just like, when you're not exposed to them, then it's just like automatically mm-hmm. assume that you don't do them. Your story, Karina, made me think of, you know, a similar experience that I had a few years back. I moved down to New Orleans and felt just like empty, honestly, down here. And it's not because the city isn't amazing and beautiful. It was like I was going through a really dark period in my life in general. You know, that was like, what, 26 or 27. It was just like a very rough period being down here. But a couple of friends took me to Gulfport and they have this really long stretch of tide where the beach dips into the ocean and then it stays like two feet deep for like it has to be like a hundred meters or more out there it's it's gorgeous and amazing you can just straight walk and it feels like you're walking into eternity it's so cool and the water's so warm um so i i had recently gotten into doing meditation so i was like i'm gonna sit in this water up to like you know just below my sternum and just like try to meditate you know just try to like sit here and exist and feel the things, hear the things, and just let them wash over me and pass by me. And while I was doing this, I, you know, I was meditating for about 10 minutes, maybe in there and just like vibing. I was like, okay, I started getting like a little bit of my calm, a little bit of my peace. And I opened my eyes and like 20, 30 meters out an osprey just hits the water and catches like a fish or something. And I was just like, (gasps) and I was just like, I'm different. You know, I was like, I'm different I'm now. I, 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 I am changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know how, but father, but something like, is different now. You've done the work. Okay, so after all that is said and done, like your career now looks obviously different than your graduate school experience. But none of the external circumstances have really got away. So, how do you now take care of yourself? Yeah, I don't have good news. It's fine. <laughs> So don't look to me it's for fine, news, but I'll, I'll, I'll say that this is definitely the most disconnected for myself that I've ever been in my life mm-hmm. is this past two years, this pandemic, because I went from like, like a, an environment that was constantly pouring stimulus on me in every possible way. And then I go to two years of four white walls. I swear to you, all these walls are white. It was such a drastic change. And in that time, I developed a lot of really unha- unhealthy patterns that I'm trying to unentrench mm-hmm. myself from still. Nice. But... I've noticed that like this disconnect has caused me to even respond differently to these social stressors around me. Like before what really made me feel something right. Like back in 2020, when I was connected to people or whatever, like I would feel things. And now I feel like I don't feel anything, which is alarming to me. And so I'm finding that like, I need to be a lot more intentional about talking to people. So I have a nephew that stays about 45 minutes from here and he and his wife and his family, they let me stay with them. For the first time, I was like with my young nephews and with my older, and I was like, it wasn't just like a quick drop by. Oh, how y'all doing? Okay, cool. It was like I was there around the children for four days, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, I'm feeling like I'm feeling, and it was the Mm -hmm. first time in like two years where I really was like, like awakened or conscious Mm -hmm. again, like something that it felt like you know when you sleep on that arm, it basically doesn't (laughs) exist anymore. Atrophy. Bye. And when it, yeah, and then when it comes back to life it like hurts those few moments it's like a really horrible feeling and i kind of felt i was like oh my god there's a three-year-old there's an (laughs) eight-year-old there's a five-year-old there's this there's that there's like oh my like there's this drop like 
It's too much. I was like, I cannot. I yep. cannot. And then when the feeling came back, I was like fully, I was like, it's so much. I started calling everybody. I called all my sisters. Well, almost all my sisters. Several of my, two of my sisters. I was calling my mom. I was calling my friends. I, I'm, I was like, oh my gosh. And so what I realized, and I, it hasn't been long enough to say that this is a pattern or a habit or what I do. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is that like, I have to talk to people. I have to purposefully even in those periods where I've become numb and it's, I know the tingle is going to be real mad, horrible, uncomfortable. Like I have to go through the tingle and I have to call them and I have to just be a human with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's good. Yeah. Karina. Yeah. That's good. It's, it's, that's it's not good, like slam it's poetry. Like bad, but it's, like, <laughs> it's hard. It's yeah, hard. I mean, healing is hard, you know, yeah. you know, taking care of ourselves is hard, uh, you know, it's that's, yeah. that's good. You're right. And it takes a long time usually. And usually it's just, it's really an act of maintenance. Sometimes you're just staving right. off, like just making it worse. And you're just like, all right, I'm maintaining. You know, yeah. That's like the key. And one day yeah. you're not just going to be maintaining. Oh, hey, come on. This bulb is going to explode from the earth and the most gorgeous singular perennial flower is going to come out and y'all are going to be like, my God, look at that. Wonderful lily. Yeah. Just coming through. I look forward to it. I mean, I see it now. Like, I see it. I see you, seedlings. Oh, my gosh. What a delight. Karina, you're the best. Yeah, this is amazing. We can't thank you enough for like joining us. Being here, being you, being doing present. all the things that you yes. do, you know. <laughs> Karina, where can people find you out in the world? You can find me with by this white wall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's in that Zoom box. <laughs> you can find me on social medias on Twitter. My Twitter handle is hood underscore naturalist, and on Instagram it's hood underscore underscore naturalist. Is there anything <laughs> you want to shout out? that you're doing or that you think is cool by black indigenous Um, POC folks in nature and science? Yeah. At the University of Georgia, there is like a really dedicated group of researchers in in the conservation space. They just put on a conference called the Integrative Conservation Conference. And it was like led by and centered around indigenous voices um, in, in environmental space, conservation, all of that. And it was such a, I know it was such a labor for them um, and they had to give so much of their time and their energy, but I'm just so grateful to them for the work that they did. Um, I want to shout out, I want to shout out Dr. Mordecai Ogata, who is a Kenyan indigenous biologist, and he is telling the truth about conservation and kind of the, the toxic Western ways of thinking and, and romanticization mm-hmm. that, that really ends up killing people in the actual places mm-hmm. where these conservation efforts are happening. Oh my gosh, uh-oh, I can talk uh-oh. forever. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Mordecai Ogata is like the truth. I just like to shout out the West Atlanta Watershed Alliance in Atlanta, hey. which is a Black-led environmental organization that helps to bring justice and access and health um, mm-hmm. in the connection of black people in, in the west side of Atlanta to uh, our natural resources and they are doing the Lord's work doing great research and um, yes. Hell yeah. I'm gonna give a quick shout out to that boy Al Troutman. What's up Alex? Yes! yes! Karina, yes, thank you yes. so much for being on the show. It's been a be, pleasure be, 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 to have be. you. We out! Allison Jones and Alexi Cruz's show theme by Spencer Snedden show graphics by Khalif Gillette 
and a special cameo by the own natural Mr. Platinum himself, Alex Troutman. Music and sound effects in this episode came from F8 Entertainment, Zapsplat, and the McIntosh County Shouters, who are keeping the historic music of the Gullah Keechee alive in Georgia. Check out their music on Spotify. You can support the creators of this podcast by jumping on our Patreon at patreon.com slash weouthearepod, where you'll hear the episode Q&As and banter that didn't quite make it into the episodes. You can also learn what kind of frozen treat Allison really is, and you as a patron get the superhuman ability to ask our guests and hosts questions. However, if you're as broke as the creators, you can show us love by dropping five little stars on our big ol' heads. Thanks for listening. Happy Women's History Month. Shouts out to Obsidian. Now, it's time to get that ass outside. What a delight. An afternoon delight. I don't, I didn't, and I'm going to (laughs) stop.